You're listening to Randall Wallace Presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American history podcast of 2024 by Feedspot.com. And finally tonight, as we look back at this Memorial Day weekend together, I want to tell you about something that happened that will probably never happen again. Forty years ago, the Vietnam War was ended by President Nixon, and hundreds of prisoners of war came home after years of brutal captivity. So the Nixon Library decided over the weekend to invite the former prisoners still living to recreate a dinner held at the White House long ago. And tonight, in America Strong, some of those POWs sit down with us to remind a new generation what courage and country really mean. They were the ace pilots shot out of the sky, taken prisoner and tortured by the Vietnamese, shoulders pulled out of sockets, burned with electric wires, and not for weeks, but years. Captured November the 7th, 1967, and there for 1,955 days. 2,103 days in a prison camp. 1,900 days in prison. And 40 years later, they still recognize the squeaky gate from that prison hell. They're coming for somebody, and it ain't good. They beat my good friend to death over the first month on his wounds. Captain Guy Gruders says as he listened to the screaming, he knew his only choice was to ask God to teach him how to forgive. I got on my knees heavy, and after three months of heavy prayer, real heavy prayer, I'm talking hours a day, I could finally form just in my mind the words, you know, Lord, uh, forgive him. I was praying for them, praying for the captives. That's the G. Through their prison walls, the they tapped letters to each other for God bless you. you and came away with lessons about what courage really is. What is it? Courage is fear that has said its prayers. None of us was as strong as we wanted to be or we thought we would be. Courage is not always the, you know, the end of the fight. Uh, courage is a process. When they returned to America in 1973, they were so thin, the U.S. sent tailors to remake their uniforms before they appeared in public. I bounded up the stairs and stopped at the top. (laughs) Blow a kiss. (laughs) That's John McCain, and right behind him, Colonel Ellis, who says they got on the plane, he was handed a big cigar and hugged a nurse. We had not seen a woman in five and a half years. Can you imagine that? And Captain Gruders, who seemed so subdued on the flight home, soared in a dance of joy at the sight of his little brother all grown up. The son of a gun is stronger than I am. I can't (laughs) believe it. This kid that I beat up all my life is now stronger. I can't believe it. And then there they were on the lawn of the White House for dinner with the president. And then last Friday, 187 of them, nearly a third of the original group, gathered again at the Nixon Library, remembering when brotherhood was everything in the distant memory that is Vietnam. What is it you most want to say to each other? A lot of people only have five or six friends that they can really count on in a tough situation. But we had 300 friends that we knew would take not just death for each other, but torture for each other. Torture is much harder to take than death. And we had 300 friends like that. In prison, they wrote down songs about America on toilet paper. They hid it from the Vietnamese. And 40 years ago, they sang one of them, written in prison. It is called the POW Prayer, about honor and freedom and home. 
O God, to Thee we lift our prayer and sing. O God, to Thee we raise the prayer and sing. From within these foreign prison walls, salutes them back. President Nixon saluted nearly 600 American troops. They had been held as prisoners of war in Vietnam. After their release, they retreated to an unforgettable celebration. And now, 40 years later, many of those former POWs rather are reuniting. Former POWs from the Vietnam War gathered today for a reunion at the Richard Nixon Presidential Library in California. They spent years in North Vietnamese prisons and were finally released in 1973. There was an emotional reunion taking place at the Richard Nixon Library. Hundreds of former POWs from the Vietnam War gathering to commemorate a star-studded dinner that took place at the White House 40 years ago. reunion happened today in Southern California at the Richard Nixon Presidential Library. This was a very special day with a lot of historical context as you'll see in a moment. These POWs came from all over the country to be here today and many more people came out to salute them. It was a hero's welcome that these heroes were worthy of. When I saw the people holding a flag I said I still get goosebumps. <laughs> for these. Uh, last night I was at a salute to freedom on the Intrepid. T check this out, this emotional celebration of service. We can't thank them enough. It's at the Richard Nixon Presidential Library this Memorial Day weekend. There are hundreds of former POWs from Vietnam all gathering to commemorate a star-studded dinner party thrown at the White House 40 years ago. 
I think it's time. William Lajeunesse, live at the Nixon Library in Yorba Linda, California. So glad to hear this is happening, William. You know, Jamie, that was the largest dinner ever held at the White House. And uh, we we're looking at some 1,300 people. Well, in just a few hours, about 200 of those POWs who were starved, beaten, and bound in North Vietnam will commemorate that dinner held in their honor by then-President Nixon, May 24, 1973. McDaniel, along with two other Vietnam POWs, took a sneak peek at the venue for tonight's dinner that's designed to replicate the dinner back in 1973. Each table, plate, and glass brought back memories of that reunion dinner hosted by President Nixon. He came over to the table and we stood up and he put his arms around me and my sister and said, ah, the first sister again. That was very meaningful. I'm looking forward to it. My wife is looking forward to it and we got our camera. <laughs> I was in table D. I was over here somewhere. It was entertainer Sammy Davis Jr.'s idea to have a big celebration. He said to the president, he said, you know, you have a big party for them. He said, wouldn't it be nice if you could have all the POWs at a White House dinner? With nearly 1,300 guests, it was the largest ever White House dinner. A huge tent covered the South Lawn. Bob Hope was master of ceremonies. John Wayne spoke. The heroes also were given unusual access inside the house. One of us said, what do you suppose is in this door? I don't know. And I opened the door, and it was President Nixon's study. And he was sitting behind the desk. And we walked in, and oh my God. And he said, you know, it's okay, boys. That's all right. I'll be down there in a minute. You just go right ahead. And, you know, we're just shaking. Oh my God, we walked in on the president, you know. For many, the highlight of the evening was the singing of God Bless America, led by the man who wrote the tune, Irving Berlin. My wife talks about that this, this day. She was standing there, just tears falling out of her face. God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her. These decorated veterans, Vietnam POWs, many of them former pilots, reunited tonight wearing the same uniforms they wore the evening of May 24th, 1973. Described as a magical night, a special dinner and celebration at the South Lawn of the White House with President Richard Nixon and his wife Pat. It rained all day and it was wet everywhere, but uh, it was also not a dry eye in the house. One of the great occasions of the Nixon presidency. Back then and today, these heroes are honored for their courage and endurance, surviving years of captivity and torture by the enemy. I remember their honor, their courage, their commitment to our country. On this night, Tricia Nixon Cox did the honors. You never lost faith in America, and my father never lost faith in you. They've been slowed by time, their numbers dwindling. Though many reuniting at the Nixon Library were propelled to rewarding lives by their rescue 40 years ago, they've never lost their bond with each other. Or with the president, as controversial as the war itself, who negotiated their freedom on the way to ending their war. The program will not be seen tonight, so that we may bring you a special event on ABC's Wide World of Entertainment.
Ladies and gentlemen, here we are at the White House, the big tent with all the POWs, and here's one of our great POWs from Illinois and California, Admiral Stockdale. Thank you, Mr. Hope. Welcome. I can't tell you how we're how we feel about this. We've been looking forward to this great event for a long, long time. How do you feel about it? Well, of course, I am thrilled to be here as a guest of President Mrs. Nixon, and I'm sure I speak for all of the prisoners of war in saying that this is probably probably one of the highlights of our lives. It's uh, also a great honor to know that the MC tonight will be a great favorite of all of us and a great American patriot, Bob Hope. Thank you very much. You know, this is a great coincidence. When Paul Keyes asked me to do this, I told him that I wore your bracelet for about a year and a half while you were in the Hanoi Hilton. And what a great pleasure it is to see you. Well, you know, I, I know you've got to rush to change. I've got to rush home and put on my vaudeville clothes because the show goes on very, very soon. Well, good. And I want to thank you for your loyalty as to thank so many others for the loyalty to we prisoners. Well, you're the great Americans in our heart. And we'll see you in a few minutes with a great show. Thank you. Good evening. I'm Tom Jarrell, ABC News White House correspondent. Washington is a city that revolves around controversy during office hours and elegant social events at night. These, of course, are days where there's no shortage of controversy with the sensational testimony before the Watergate Committee on Capitol Hill, with Henry Kissinger still trying to get that ceasefire agreement implemented, and the battle of vetoes continuing between Congress and the President. For a few hours tonight, attention will be shifted away from those daytime problems here at the White House as President and Mrs. Nixon host the biggest dinner party ever given on the grounds of the executive mansion. A formal black tie sit-down dinner for 1,300 invited guests. The guests of honor are about 600 Americans who were held prisoner of war at some time or other during the long and agonizing Vietnam conflict. For various mostly unexplained reasons, about 90 former POWs declined to attend. Just as Vietnam was divisive here at home, there were a few men who objected to the war while in prison, and that may explain why some have declined their invitations. For the most part, though, the invitations were accepted, and men who live for years in harsh prison conditions are tonight here with their ladies being given the best the White House has to offer in food, elegance, music, and entertainment. The performers are all donating their time and their talents for this occasion. That's not entirely new, for they've gone to Vietnam to perform in the past. Most notable is Bob Hope, a Christmas time entertainer of GIs for as long as I can remember. We saw Bob, of course, earlier with Admiral Jim Stockdale, one of the leaders of the POW group. Bob Hope will weave a program of entertainment involving such varied talents as the new Christie Minstrels, Joey Heatherton, Vic Damone, Roy Acuff, Sammy Davis Jr., with special guest appearances by such Hollywood celebrities as John Wayne, Phyllis Diller, Irving Berlin, Ricardo Montalban, and Jimmy Stewart. The sheer size of this event has made it necessary to move outdoors under this giant tent erected here on the South Lawn. The tent is longer and wider than the White House itself. Inside are 126 round tables where the former prisoners, their ladies and government dignitaries will dine and watch the show. In addition to the former prisoners attending are ranking members of the Senate and House Armed Services Committees and Vice President Agnew and Dr. Henry Kissinger. They've attended a reception in the mansion, and now their guests are arriving here in the tent for a White House salute to our prisoners of war.
Lev Ruffles and Flourishes, followed by Hail to the Chief as President and Mrs. Nixon arrive, along with Vice President Agnew. All of the other guests are at their tables and in their places for the arrival now of the first family. United States and Mrs. Nixon, the Vice President of the United States and Mrs. Agnew. The walkway is from the South Portico entrance to the White House, underneath a long tent-like awning that has been constructed to protect the President and his guests tonight from a reasonably heavy rain that has been falling intermittently throughout the day. President Nixon, Mrs. Nixon arriving, Mr. President, Mr. Vice President. To the standing applause of those here who have already reached their dinner places, President, the Vice President, and uh, the First Lady will move now to their table, and uh, we will prepare for, first, I believe, uh, a chorus from the POW Choir, and also a special prayer. seated, and in a moment you will stand again. <laughs> As all of you know, this is the largest dinner ever held at the White House, and that in itself would make it important. I think you should also know that in this great house, the most distinguished men and women of the world have been entertained, emperors and kings and presidents, and leaders from virtually every nation of the world have been honored here. And of course, they have honored this house by being here. But I know that I speak for all of the American people when I say that never has the White House been more proud than it is tonight because of the guests we have tonight. Our program will begin with an invocation by, I understand, the honorary chaplain, Chaplain Gillespie. I incidentally was wondering whether we had picked the right chaplain when we selected him. I was just hoping we could have gotten that one that Patton had that worked out the business so we had that clear day during the Battle of the Ball. <laughs> but since we can't get him, cap uh, the honorary chaplain of the POW camp in Hanoi, uh, Captain Gillespie will give the invocation and then the chorus, the POW chorus will sing the POW hymn which was composed in the camp and they, I understand, will come up here on the stage and sing it. So, Mr. Gillespie first. Let us pray. 
O Lord, we thank thee for the many blessings that thou hast given to us. We thank thee for the faith and the hope and the strength and the courage that thou hast given to us and to our families during the long years of our separation. We thank thee for our release and for our return and our reunion with our families and loved ones. And we thank thee especially tonight for this warm fellowship which we share with one another, with so many who have been so instrumental in our return and with our president and his family. We thank thee for the many thoughts and the prayers and for the many expressions of interest and concern which we have received for so many, from so many. Surely, Lord, thou hast been merciful and gracious to us, and we thank thee. We ask thy blessings, Lord, upon our president and upon the other leaders of our country, that thou would grant to them the wisdom, the faith, the strength, and the courage to lead our country safely and surely through these troubled and critical times. We pray that thou would grant to us and to our fellow Americans the faith, the loyalty, the strength, and the courage to support them in their leadership. And we ask thy blessings upon our country and our people, that thou will continue to guide us and help us to find strength and freedom always. Lord, we ask thy blessings also upon the families and the loved ones of the missing in action and the killed in action, that thou would comfort them and strengthen them and help them to endure whatever sorrow, hardship, and disappointments they may experience. O Lord, as thou hast been with us during the time of our adversity, I pray that thou will continue to be with us during this time of our prosperity. And even as thou hast not forsaken us during the years of our imprisonment, I pray that we will not forsake thee during these years of our freedom. Let us live our lives so that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts will always be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Gentlemen, come forward, please. Now we will have a special tune by the POW Chorus. 35 prisoners who formed together while in captivity to uh, right, sing to the other prisoners, to pass time, to entertain themselves. In the men's and room at the Statler this afternoon. Their now special hymn will be the, the words the of the Navy hymn. looking for the music, but I hit it so well they couldn't find it. <laughs> Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Quincy Collins of Atlanta, Georgia, who is the director of the POW Chorus.
great deal of symbolism has gone into the planning and execution of the program tonight by the White House. For example, the normal flag that flies over the White House uh, has been replaced tonight by the stars and stripes that flew over Clark Air Force Base in the, in the Philippines when the prisoners first arrived back home last February. That flag, the one from Clark Air Force Base, is tonight flying on a lighted staff outside the White House. Another uh, bit of symbolism, which we will also see in just a moment, is the posting of a very special color. Uh, the flag that will be posted here in the main dining hall uh, in a very conspicuous place in the center of the stage is a small handkerchief-sized American flag. Uh, this flag will be posted in the center arch of the stage. It was hand-woven by Colonel John Dermacy of Tacoma, Washington, while Colonel Dermacy was a POW in Vietnam. Of course, it was strictly forbidden, so the colonel had to work in private and in secret as much as he could. He made this flag, the small handkerchief-sized flag, by taking red strings from some of his long-handled underwear. He used some gold trim from a blanket to weave into the flag. He used some string from a Red Cross package that he received from home uh, also to go into the small flag. And he used a small piece of scrap copper as the needle to sew this flag together. Of course, he could not fly except at nighttime because had his POW captives realized that uh, the colonel had an American flag, he would have never gotten by with it and they would have collected it. He still had it when he was finally released. the White House to have a toast to the honored guest. The difficulty tonight is that there are so many honored guests that uh, we would be drinking all night and into the day. <laughs> Somebody just said, what's wrong with that? <laughs> but tonight, as I was thinking of the toast to propose, before doing so, I would like all of us to join I think in a round of applause for the marvelous White House staff and all these service organizations that have put this dinner out. And now to come to the moment of the toast, I think you would be interested to know the advice I got from some of the senior officers when I asked them how the toast should be proposed. And to a man, each one of them said, do not propose it to us. We have been toasted and we appreciate the great welcome that we have received. And most of them referred to the missing in action, to those who have been killed in action, to those who have served in Vietnam, to those who are serving today all over the world, to those who wear the uniform of the United States proudly, as they have worn it so proudly. And of course, I could go on and on about the men that these strong men and stout-hearted men would like for us to recognize. I think there is one group, and I will not propose the toast to them tonight because I have another group that I think deserves that accolade, but one group that I would like to mention particularly. The most difficult decision that I have made since being president was on December the 18th of last year.
And there were many occasions in that 10-day period after the decision was made when I wondered whether anyone in this country really supported it. But I can tell you this, after having met each one of our honored guests this evening, after having talked to them, I think that all of us would like to join in a round of applause for the brave men that took those B-52s in and did the job. Because as all of you know, if they hadn't have done it, you wouldn't be here tonight. And now, I do come to the moment when I propose the toast. It is traditional on occasion to propose the toast to a lady rather than to a man. And on this occasion, I think of a first lady, and of many first ladies. Of course, traditionally, the wife of the president is the first lady of this country. I can tell you, as I look back over those months and years that we have met with the wives and the mothers of those of you who were prisoners of war, they were and are the bravest, most magnificent women I have ever met in my life. And now if they will give me my official toasting glass, I will propose the toast. <laughs> All the gentlemen will please rise. Tonight, as President of the United States, I designate every one of the women here, the wives, the mothers, and others who are guests of our POWs as First Ladies. Gentlemen, to the First Ladies of America, the First Ladies. And now to respond to the toast, we will call on the ranking officer and uh, as I recall, he was a colonel the last time I met him. So uh, we will call him a colonel at the moment, but before he gets through, he's going to be a lot higher than that. Colonel Penn. Mr. President, Mrs. Nixon, Mr. Vice President, Mrs. Agnew, distinguished guests, fellow attorneys, and their lovely ladies. I know that uh, I have some sympathy from the returnees being sandwiched in between the President of the United States and Bob Hope. <laughs> but sir, in a more serious vein, I would like to express our appreciation for being here. We have often said that we were privileged to serve our country under difficult circumstances. And this evening, sir, we would like to state that we are privileged indeed to be here as your guest. We regret only that our comrades could not return with us. And, sir, I would like to state for all of us that we never lost faith in your integrity or your courage or the courage of our people in the country or of our services. And I'd like to state, too, that we do not consider ourselves a unique group of men. Rather, we are a random selection of faith. And we consider we are representative of what our services produce today 
But more importantly, our services are drawn from the civilian community, and we are proud to be citizens of the United States. And Mr. President, concerning your decision on December the 18th, I would like to assure you, sir, that we knew that you were in a very lonely position. The decision was contested. But I would like to also report to you that when we heard heavy bombs impacting in Hanoi, we started to go and pack our bags because we knew we were going home. And we were going home with honor. Now, sir, uh, in recognition of your fortitude and your perseverance under fire, the returnees would like to present to you a token of our esteem to you, sir. A group of the prisoners of war in the audience are now making a presentation to President Nixon. And finally, Mr. President and ladies and gentlemen, we would like to demonstrate a custom which was derived in Hanoi when we had achieved communal living. And it deals with the toast, sir. And this is the toast which was given in each of the rooms within the Hanoi prison. Mr. Vice, would you propose a toast, please? Thank you very much, sir. The gentleman who arrived just in time with a toasting glass for the president was John Fickland, the head waiter here, who has quite a job himself, leading up about 300 waiters serving this huge event tonight. Dinner is served, the toast has now been made, and we will return in a moment with... Your host for Bridging the Political Gap. I want to thank you first for tuning in to our podcast and invite you to come to our website, randallwallace.com. There you can get a copy of our book, Always Vote Your Conscience, Don't Take It Personally, and Don't Fight the Same Old Battles Over and Over Again, with a lot of policy suggestions and things that I think everyone could embrace, an argument for why we need to be working together instead of fighting with each other. Also, you can take a look at the first 11 episodes of this podcast, which was a podcast documentary that looked at the World War II generation of bipartisan leadership that built the American century and the lessons we can learn from them to apply to today's situations. Again, thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And if you've enjoyed our show, please leave us a review at wherever you get your podcast. And now, let's get back to the show. 
Colonel Flynn was speaking that he's already made Brigadier General. And uh, I also thought after his very generous remarks that uh, I should respond appropriately. And so Brigadier General Flynn, I want you to know that with the authority invested in me as Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces for the balance of this evening, you are a full General of the Arm. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we come to the real reason <clears throat> that it was essential to uh, bring you back and bring this war to a conclusion uh, before uh, the end of this year. The reason is that I made a promise to Bob Hope. <laughs> Bob Hope told me uh, when he was in the White House a few months ago, this was before we knew you were going to return, that he had spent the last 20 Christmases outside of the United States and the last 12 of them in Vietnam. And he said, Mr. President, next Christmas, I would like to spend Christmas with Dolores at home. Bob, you are recognized. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. President, Ms. Nixon, Mr. Vice President, Ms. Agnew, dear people. Is this something? No kidding. Isn't this something? Who would have dreamed that me, a poor boy from Cleveland, standing here in the White House, being introduced by a personal friend of George Allen? Isn't it great? I want to tell you, it's really a challenge following the President of the United States. There's nothing like starting out as an anti-climax. <laughs> I feel like Phyllis Diller following Raquel Welsh into the boudoir. <laughs> You're there, but who really cares? <laughs> I don't have to tell you, this is the biggest thrill for anybody in show business to be introduced by the President. The second biggest thrill is the date with Henry Kissinger. I just want to tell you that, Mr. President, you have a great announcing voice. And even if Mr. Governor had gotten lucky, you could still have found work. <laughs> but I'm thrilled to be here with you guys. This is what I like, a captive audience. <laughs> I have relatives here? <laughs> no, for me, this whole thing, is, this whole night is like a dream. On the plane riding in, I had to keep pinching myself. I didn't have much choice. The stewardess locked herself in the restroom. <laughs> and I hear some of you guys were prisoners for so long, you missed some of my shows overseas. So we're going to give you the whole works tonight. Let's face it. Let's face it, your luck couldn't hold out forever. Go, let's go. My opening number. What gives an actor confidence?
I understand you guys all got a vote of appreciation from the Hanoi Hilton. It's the first time in a hotel's history that no one was late for checkout time. <laughs> they tell me. They tell me. They tell me it was the happiest exit I've heard of since Moses organized the first Egyptian hiking club. <laughs> All I want to tell you right now is it's a good thing I wasn't captured. I couldn't have stood it. I understand none of those cells have mirrors. <laughs> Actually, I was taken prisoner once. I really was. Right after one of my shows. Those Marines in Da Nang can be pretty nasty, you know. <laughs> you don't know, but the last two Christmases I applied to the North Vietnamese Embassy in Vientiane for permission to entertain you in Hanoi. But they turned me down. They said, we do our own torturing. that everybody in this show is so thrilled to be here to entertain you guys and the whole nation they're delighted when you guys return but i do want to tell you that the president doesn't take his game seriously hit one into a bunker and i said mr president you're in trouble he said when this game is over i have to go back to the middle east the oil shortage rising food prices and you're telling me that little bit of sand is trouble <laughs> and i'm delighted to see the vice president here i had a hunch he wasn't on the driving range Dr. Kissinger can also take a big bow for making this night possible, and he's become very important. He's the only doctor who makes continent calls. <laughs> now, let me tell you, we're very proud of him, and he does a wonderful job. He has a very tough job right now. How do you negotiate a ceasefire for a ceasefire? <laughs> and Dr. Kissinger's memoirs could easily become a bestseller. He's dated dozens of beautiful starlets, and visited a great many countries, some of them never explored by man before. <laughs> we appreciate it. We have a fantastic show planned for you here by the president. No expense has been spared. <laughs> Why am I lying to you? <laughs> Actually, we're a little short of money, so instead of having real musicians, we have Les Brown in the band, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and let me tell you, Les Les is a very loyal Republican. He has a divot signed by General Eisenhower. In fact, he's wearing it tonight. And I'll tell you this, this is absolutely the last time I bring this band to the White House. They take a sadistic pleasure in dri driving the Secret Service out of their mind. They keep wandering into the kitchen and asking the chef if he knows where the pot is. Actually, Actually, the band likes it out here because they're, they've always done well on grass and they're very happy right out here. <laughs> now, we're a great team. We're a great team, Les Brown and myself. They laugh at anything and I'm tone deaf. <laughs> this band has been with me for 24 years, ladies and gentlemen, and we've played most of the military bases in the world. And let me tell you something. I've seen them play. I've seen them play. I'm not finished. I've seen them play in the back of trucks and swamps and ice-cold hangars in heat so hot it blistered the fingers and wind so strong on carriers they had to hold on to their music. And at this sentimental moment, I just want to say this is the greatest band in the world, ladies and gentlemen. Left round of the band. Right?
it's a pleasure to introduce one of the finest groups this side of Mama Cass. They're young, they're good looking, they're neat, clean, and they sing on key. How they've ever made it in the music business today, I'll never know. <laughs> a fine group of musicians who not only want perform faultlessly, but are also helping the energy crisis. They've converted all their electric guitars to gas. Here they are, a great group, the new Christie Minstrels, right here. song they wanted us to share with you. This land is your land. Here is one of the most beloved teams in the history of show business, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. This is one of the most durable teams in show business. Charlie look, doesn't look a day older, but Edgar has termites. <laughs> Only a great ventriloquist can make his dummy seem so real. Charlie really does a wonderful job. <laughs> here he is, a master comedian, Edgar Bergen, right here. would come back. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to be here at this very gay and very important evening. Of course, I have other memories too. There's, oh, at the end of World War II, I remember Francis and I, we were the first performers to fly into Berlin. We flew in on the coal lift. Well, that's a memory. That six years ago, we were in, of course, Vietnam. But this is the happiest occasion. And, uh, of course, I have to bring out my partner. They say a man is known by the company he keeps well for the past 35 years. One of my closest companions has been a dummy. So here he is, Charlie McCarthy. I want you to say hello to the pretty girls out here. Well, I don't know who they are. Well, that's all right. Smile at the audience. A little over here. When you come before a nice audience like this, you must be warm, you must be friendly. Oh, yeah, you got to do that. And for the ladies, you should be a little sexy. Well, I'm, uh, I'm not very, uh, oh, gosh, no, no. <laughs> I'm not sexy, you know, no. Good looking, maybe, but not sexy. <laughs> you don't have a girl, no, no. Martha, how many times have you been kissed? <laughs> you mean counting girls? Well, well. <laughs> Well, what else? Well, Grandpa used to kiss me goodnight. Yeah, Grandpa, yeah. Well, there's no thrill in that. Well, there ain't no, no. Uh, well, I guess that's why he quit doing it. I imagine something. <laughs> Is your mother living yet? No, no. Not yet. Not yet, I... <laughs> not will be, anyway. No, I see. Well, what about your father? Well, he was nice to me. He... He used to take me for long walks in the woods. I see, yeah. And leave me there. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, where's your father now? I don't know. He got lost in the woods. He got lost. <laughs> well, are you going to be a farmer too, like your grandfather? No, I'm studying to be a lifeguard. A lifeguard? Yeah, yeah. Have you studied life-saving? Well, I had it as a boy scout, as a boy scout. Yeah. 
I know what to do. You do. Yeah, well, I can always look it up. It's in the book. Yeah, it should be in your head. Yeah, yeah. Let me just rehearse you a little. Suppose you're a lifeguard. Yeah. Now, this is a beach. Yeah. There's a lake out there. Yeah. There's a boy swimming out there. Well, I'll be darned. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, that boy says, help, help, I'm drowning. Well, that's a shame. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? You're the lifeguard. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, how far out, how far out uh, is he? Oh, let's say... Uh, Oh, 120 yards? Oh, nuts to that. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I'm going on a coffee date. No, no, you're not. Now, what does the book say? Well, the book says to row out there in a boat. Well, then why don't you row out there? But by the time you get out there, that boy's gone under. Wasn't worth the trouble, was it? Yes, it was. <laughs> so you can't see him from the surface, so what do you do? I'll row out in a glass-bottom boat. No, 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 no. You dive in, get that boy out of the water, then get the water out of him. How do you do that? Well, you get him ashore and hang him over a barrel and let him drain. And let him drain. Yeah. Well, there's no barrel on the shore. No barrel? No. Well, did you look? I looked, yes. Yeah. No barrel, huh? No. Oh, I'll be darned. <laughs> there's one in the book, one in the book, yeah. <laughs> so what do you do? Well, a Boy Scout is always cheerful. Yeah. So you just say, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> What the heck? No barrel, no barrel. <laughs> what are you going to do for that boy? Oh, ain't he dead yet? No, no. <laughs> You're going to give him artificial or suffocation? No. Perspiration. <laughs> oh, that's enough. This is the dumbest conversation I've ever been mixed up in. Oh, you notice it too? Yes, I do. <laughs> well, you can only blame me for half of it. Yes. <laughs> How can you be so stupid? Well, I'll tell you, I got a fellow helping me. Oh, I see. Here's a guy, they loved at every base. He appeared at one of our Christmas tours. He does for your ears what Raquel was does for your eyes. Mr. Vic Damone, right here. I made up my mind to live in memory of a lonesome time. I can't stop wanting you. It's useless to say. So I'll just live my life, dream of yesterday. Those happy hours that we want. Beautiful boy. All these people that are appearing here tonight went to Vietnam. I've been advised to say that if you didn't know it. I want you to reel a, a real American right here that did a sensational job in Vietnam, shaking hands, and he's done a great job. He's a great citizen in every category, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Wayne, right here. President, ladies and gentlemen, I guess I feel like all Americans tonight were sorry that about 40,000 of your comrades at arms can't be here. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think this is a great country. It's a lot better off with you fellas back here. 
I think it was wonderful for the president to uh, bring us all together like this tonight. I'm happy all you fellows and your families could get here to be with him. I feel pretty good that he has this chance to meet you all, because you all have a lot in common. You hung in there when the going was rough. So did he. Stuck by your guns. You stuck by your guns, and so did he. You love this blessed country, and so does he, and so do all of us. You men, I want to say thanks for showing the whole world the kind of men a free country can put up when the gun gets rough. You're the best we have, and I'll ride off into the sunset with you anytime. Just one more thing before I sit down. I want to thank you, Mr. President. Not for any one thing, just for everything. Thank you. something that was unforgivable. You won an Oscar. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, fasten your safety belt because you're going to meet the Liz Taylor of the Twilight Zone, a comedian who made a fortune kidding herself and, and her parents and then blew it all on plastic surgery. Her face has been lifted so many times her plastic surgeon has a hernia. She is the centerfold in field and stream, Phyllis Diller. <laughs> Phyllis, I never know whether to address you as Miss or Ms. Ms. Why don't you just, why don't you just call me what the neighborhood kids call me, Sir? No, really, really appreciate your flying down from New York to do this show. We really oh, do. Well, I'm so happy to be here, but me and Joey Heatherton? I mean, I don't see what you need with two sex symbols. Phyllis, you don't, jokes don't play with you anymore. You're beautiful now. Hey, keep that down. You can get me out of showbiz. <laughs> what a change. I can't get over it. I really can't. Is, the, is this where your nose used to be? That was my ear. Your ear? Uh, don't, don't, don't touch my dimple. I can't tell you what that used to be. <laughs> well, let me ask you, what made you decide to do yourself over? Well, I was sick and tired of having the dro dog drag me out in the backyard and bury me. <laughs> tell him about it, Phyllis. Next, we have a performer named Joey. We don't let Joey fool you. She doesn't look like anybody's brother. It's a good thing Joey's dancing in this tent because when she dances indoors, she sets off the sprinkler system. She was a sensation in Vietnam, this girl. The girl guys really loved her kind of rotation. 
and she's risen to the top echelon of show business in less than two years. Star with the star, here she is, Joey Heatherton, right here. <laughs> actors of our time, and he always does fantastic benefit jobs. Ladies and gentlemen, Ricardo Montalban. Where is Ricardo? Thank you very much, Bob. Mr. President, Mr. Nixon, Vice President, Ms. Dagnall, ladies and gentlemen, honored guests, amigos, like everyone else on this stage tonight, I too went to Vietnam to visit you men. And I went for two reasons. Because my own son was fighting there, and because I wanted to pay my respects. <laughs> His uh, home safe, thank God. And because I wanted to pay my respects to all of the men fighting there. But if we are going to get together again, I must much rather do it this way. Not only do I not have to travel so far, but let's face it, the food is a little better here. <laughs> As for tonight, I am honored, like all of us are, to be here to pay my respects one more, once more to you men who shared the brotherhood of pain and suffering. Thank God that it's all behind you and that now we can all join hands and share in the brotherhood of peace and joy. I I am very grateful to the President for bringing us all together and to you men for representing your country with such dignity, such courage. You are magnificent. And may I add a personal note, as a man who was not born in this wonderful country but who shares your love for this wonderful, wonderful country, I, have, I feel very, very touched and very moved tonight to be with the President who is committed to peace with honor, and to you men who gave us honor with peace. At and let me just finish by talking like a, like a typical actor. This is the happiest ending of any story ever told. Muchas gracias.
brought you to meet the kind of an act, ladies and gentlemen, that brought such great entertainment to the boys in Vietnam because this is the top act of its kind here in this country. Here is Rory Acuff and the Grand Old Opry right here. Our eastern states are dandy, so the people always say. From New York to St. Louis and Chicago, by the way. From the hills of Minnesota, where the rippling waters fall. No changes can be taken on the Wabash Cannonball. Charlie Collins and Gene Martin. Jimmy Riddle with the harmonica. Here's the Daddy Claxton, may his name forever stand, and always be remembered round the courts of Alabama. His earthly race is over and the curtain round him falls. We'll carry him home to victory on the Wabash Cannonball. Listen to the jingle, rumble and the roar, as she glides along the woodland, through the hills and by the shores. Hear the mighty rush of the engineer, that lonesome hobo squall. You're traveling through the jungle on the Wabash Cannonball. Introducing this next fellow because we have a lot of jumbo stars in our business, ladies and gentlemen. But this is one of the greatest and one of the biggest. And I flew in with Jimmy Stewart because I finally figured out a way to be. He finally figured out a way to be comfortable on a plane. He sends his legs ahead as baggage. <laughs> He's so friendly. When we landed, he walked over to the control tower and shook hands with the guy in the tower. But he's a man who's tall, charming, unassuming, an actor who personifies the word star. He's the greatest. Jimmy Stewart, right here. I forgot to say one thing. General Jimmy Stewart. Thank you. I got that. Thank you, Bob. I'm very honored to be here. Very honored to be here with the president of this great country of ours. This president who made this evening possible by getting you men home. I, uh, you know, I want to tell you, when you fellows stepped off those airplanes, that there just wasn't a dry eye in the country. Uh, and all of us that were sort of uh, plugging for you, when we suddenly realized that you were really home, it was like the whole world sort of stopped long enough to make things right in this country again. My wishes for you 
Oh, there are a lot of I, I wish peace for you. I wish calm. I, I wish you happiness, which you certainly earned. And I think you're going to get it. So from me and from millions of people who love their country, I, I, I just want to thank you for serving your country with honor. And thank you, Mr. President, for making this evening what it is. Thank you. This next fella acts, sings, dances, does impressions, plays the drums. A fella that we really love, a fella we voted in as the outstanding entertainer of the year last year. <clears throat> I hate to choke like that. Ladies and gentlemen, my favorite show off, Sammy Davis Jr., right after. I would just like to say that it is the greatest, really, the greatest thrill of my life. This is something very special for me tonight. Mr. President, Mrs. Nixon, Mr. Vice President, Mrs. Agnew, and all distinguished guests. I would just like to say that for the past five years, I've been going peace and love and togetherness. Tonight, I know why I said peace and love and togetherness. <laughs> and that's where it's at. Now, let me tell you something. Now, while, while, you, while you cats were, like, uh, taking a sabbatical, <laughs> there was a lot of things going on. Uh, for instance, no one's made mention of this, but while Frank Sinatra was making hit after hit after hit, I was biting my nails. But in the meantime, I came up with one hit last year, and I just felt that perhaps maybe I should lay it on you, you know. <laughs> oh, there was another incident that happened last year also in Miami when I hugged somebody, but I, I won't go into that at this point. Look up. Chain, 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 chain. Who can take a sunrise, sprinkle it with dew, cover it with chocolate or a miracle or two? The candy man, the candy man can. The candy man can, cause he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Uh, who can make a rainbow? Wrap it in a sign. Soak it in the sun and make a groovy lemon pie. The candy man. Yeah, the candy man can. I found out, I asked our man who's producing this show, Mr. Paul Keyes what that flag was about. And I was, I was told how it was made and that it came from bits and pieces of the guys. And it was, the, it was a flag that could only be flown at night so that the men could pay respect to those cats that were there in Nam, in the other part of the world that we didn't hear from for a long time. And that's why that flag, for those of you who may be at home wondering what this flag is, it was made by the POWs over in Nam, and it was done 
in the hardest possible way because they had to find the red and they had to find the white. They took a handkerchief, had to find the, and the gold and the, the blue and the stars are kind of beautiful because it's, it was done from heart. And I just want to make mention of it because I was told. I, 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 no one told me I should say it, but I sometimes say things that I ain't supposed to say a lot of times. But I, I respect that so much. That's the most beautiful flag I've seen. One song I've been allowed to, uh, everybody's doing very short tonight because it's a long show, uh, and I do not want to take up any more of the time, but may I do one song for you which I think sort of exemplifies what you gentlemen and went through in, in part, in only in part, because somewhere along the line you had to make a decision as to what you wanted to do. in this world I never belong I gotta be me I gotta be me what else can I be but what I am I want to live not merely survive and I won't give up this dream of life that keeps me alive I gotta be me I gotta be me The dream that I see Makes me what I am That far away prize To all of our distinguished guests tonight We have only one other performer He's the only one who has not been to Vietnam Physically or in person But he has been there in every place where the heart of America has been and we are proud tonight to have as a very special guest to conclude our program, Mr. Irving Berlin. Thank you. <clears throat> Mr. President, I, I really am not much at making any kind of a talk. I want to thank you and Mrs. Nixon for asking my wife and I to come here. I can't tell you how much it means to me to be here tonight with these men. I really mean that. I have sung, if you want to call it singing, for thousands and thousands of soldiers in two wars, and this is my high spot. Thank you very much. Now, I'd like to sing a song for you that doesn't take much voice because what little I ever had has left me completely. But know the song. I'll sing one chorus for you, and then I'll ask you to finish the rest of it with me. The song, of course, is one that is closer to me than any I've ever written. I'm talking about God Bless America. God bless America, land that I love 
stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above, from the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home, sweet home, from the sing this one one more chorus one more time I think it would be beautiful would you please sir? God bless America land that I love stand beside her and I through the night the light from above, from the mountain, to the prairie, to the
And he, you know, he, he wants to fight. He said, all right, I'll tell you, the time has come to take all these monkeys on. He's a very good fellow, sir. I think he saw something tonight. He, he, he doesn't know, though, if I take him on, to fight to the death, and he'll probably kill me. But by God, if I do, I'm going to kick their ass around the block. I really am. Because we cannot allow this crap about Water Bay Gate and trying to cover up the rest, destroy the greatest foreign policy this country's ever had. And, and good God, wasn't Jimmy Stewart nice and old John Wayne, you know, he says, just thank you, boss, for just not for something, but for everything. Well, it's just, I just, I'll tell you, I'm so proud tonight. I, it made everything, that, all the fighting that we've done worthwhile to see what was accomplished. And by God, sir, it makes you want to just stand up and monkey's arms, as we're doing, and we're going to wipe them out. Well, the White House has never seen a party like this, believe me. Never. Never. Well, I tell you, those men, those women, you know, the posting the women was a good thing, because one of the guys asked me to do that, and I thought it was good. I thought you handled it. And, uh... We we stuck it to him in that December bombing in a way too, did you? Huh? I thought you stuck it to him, but you handled yourself so well. But I, you know, everyone felt God there was a warmth for you, and uh, I don't know whether you felt it or not, but you felt like it. I never just that was just a great death. All the way to the family, speech, reception, men just raved about uh, Mrs. Nixon. Women did raise about the afternoon. Your speech, and then to come into that White House affair and be treated like that, and, uh, to have that that spirit of patriotism that just really just basically just oozing with patriotism. Well, you know, one thing you got to figure though, you got to say, let's assume that. None of it's true, but all this crap's going to fly, and this son of a bitch Cox and the rest will try to, I mean, try, I mean they're all saying they're going to try the president and all that horse shit. It's going to be rough. You know, I went around table hop uh, deliberately to, so that people didn't feel that we were, you know, just, just see, talking to the big shots, and it was... It was <laughs> I must say the most emotional damn thing almost tore me apart. The, these these kids and their wives and so forth are all crying and kissing and blah, 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 blah. but uh, but they're just just so few, so few. Well, too bad the POWs aren't the country. <laughs> I think they are the country. They are the country. You know. In the, last, in the last 22 or 24 years, I've been leaving North Hollywood, and I've been leaving a gal there, and uh, she went on the first two Christmas shows, and she's been in Vietnam three times, and she's here tonight. I want you to meet Dolores Hope right over there.
about that. Usually she says, oh, I don't want to get up, but there was no doubt about it tonight. <laughs> Dolores sang a tune last year in Vietnam that I think you'll enjoy. We asked her to do it. She rehearsed it with Les. Love to be here with you guys. Time is short, I realize. Quick hellos and quick goodbyes. But beautiful, beautiful to spend this time, this evening of good cheer, and there's no place we'd rather be than here. You stand out in any crowd with your head high and unbowed. What you've done makes us proud You're beautiful For you're bringing A lasting peace Goodwill to men again And that will be Beautiful Thank you for listening to Bridging the Political Gap. If you've liked what you've heard, please share it. And we would love to hear from you and your thoughts on, on our show. So if you'd like to, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, thanks again and so long for now.